This is, this is uh, my good friend Aaron. For, so, for those of you who I've not met yet, by the way, my name is Clint, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. And um, in the last year and a half or so, I've connected with a group of other pastors from around the country. Aaron's one of them who have become, um, and has become like a brother to me. And we share a sense of um, heart connection that's quite deep and quite profound. We spend lots of time together sharing at pretty significant levels and vulnerable levels, uh, praying for one another, believing in one another. And so he's been such a tremendous gift to me personally and as a leader. And I just was like thrilled to have him come for him to get to know you and for you to get to know him as well. Like I'm confident he'll be a wonderful blessing to you. Uh, so bro, we're thrilled that you're here. We're honored and humbled and um, and can I pray for you as we, as we come around the Word? Lord, we do thank you for Aaron. We thank you for who he is and whose he is. We thank you for the anointing and the gift that is on his life. And we ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit for today. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have used him and continue to use him. We ask, Lord, that you would um, work powerfully through him this morning. Speak to us. May his words be your words for us today. May they shape and form us as a community of faith more fully into your image, Jesus, that we would live lives that are faithful and fruitful uh, in following after you. So, Lord, we ask your blessing be upon him, and we ask, Lord, that you would now open our minds and our hearts. May we be in a, in a posture of openness and receptivity for all that you would have for us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we all say together, あ、メンエメン。トルキンがまたこうフィチュランがてきたポ、ハイレ、ハイレ、ハイレアチュラ、トファ、キンガ、キティキンマリアチュヘチェ、メタナファレカフヤリキ、リレ、リレ、リレホ、パイマリレ。
there's something about feeling known, being able to truly and deeply share. And so coming into this community today for me is part of seeing the dreams that have lived inside of Clint, some of his own experiences of joy and rejection and prayer and answered prayers and unanswered prayers and being here and being part of the space and being part of you all is just an immense privilege. So I lead a church in Hamilton called Tedotini and it's amazing, mostly. Sometimes it's, yeah, I mean, it's great. I love it. But um, I think, you know, when often people say, you know, we don't believe in culture, we believe in kingdom culture. I'm like, I'm not that confident that our church is a reflection of kingdom culture. I think it bounces in and out probably pretty well. Um, But just uh, my family, if you want to chuck that photo up, that'd be great. Yeah. Is that, just put us on a magazine, I reckon. Um, so this is my wife, Tiata. This is my son, Hawaiki. My oldest girl, Takari Kotiata, who was unsure about photos being taken. And then my little son, Tiaio. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge that for me, it's a privilege to be here, but for them, it's a cost. And so, Emihana um, Koto. This is, I acknowledge my family today. Um, they're beautiful, good people. I like them, I'll keep them. Uh, just uh, So we started our church 14 years ago. I basically moved into an incredibly poor part of Hamilton, not because I was like on mission, just because I was a student and that's all I could afford. Um, it's important to distinguish those things. Eh? Sometimes you can get more dramatic over time, like, you know, and how the story actually plays out. And basically what happened is I pulled a family out of their home uh, that had, were being uh, be- beaten up by a father. And uh, we pulled them over, they stayed the night at our house, and the next day we had a barbecue and we started our church. That's pretty much how we began. And uh, so that's kind of been our journey. Our journey is one of figuring out what does it mean to be here in Aotearoa? What does it mean to tell the story of uh, colonization and how the story of white supremacy has filtered its way into the gospel and how do we get rid of that and how do we be honest about what's been bad and, and praising that which has been good? How do we be unashamed about the story, whether it's been beautiful or broken? And so that's been a big part of our narrative. We are unashamed to enter into history because we feel like those that go back are able to go forward. Those that don't go back just keep going back, right? Kapoi, some of you are like, man, I'm glad he's a guest. (laughs) Right, okay, so I had a couple of prophetic words and things that I wanted to I'm actually just, I'm going to come down. Is that all right? My dad's five foot four, so I'm pretty much a miracle of height. But um, I just had a couple of things that I, I wanted to give some words out to people. I wanted to share what I felt like God's been speaking to this community. And I just, I want to acknowledge that my, you know, my primary, the, the office that I, that I stand in is that of the, of the prophet, of being prophetic. Um, however, I'm still not God. And so... If things don't sit with you or you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, just leave it in the rubbish and walk out, okay? It's fine. I won't be offended. I'll go home. My children will still run and give me a hug when I get there, right? So the story of Jacob, how familiar or unfamiliar it may be, I'm not going to tell you the in-depth part of that story. Just go and read it. It's in the Bible. Um, Jacob spends much of his life actually on the run, trying to figure himself out, figure out what to do with the sense of call of God that he had on his life, trying to basically cause it to be through his own ability. So he tricks people and he deceives people and he's just like working himself out. He's basically a teenager, 
right? Just trying to figure out how to be in the world. Now, uh, the consequences of his trickery at times is that he ends up on the run a lot. And he gets his way into trouble, but God gives him two significant moments. And the firstly, God gives him a dream at Bethel and shows him the stairway of ascending and descending angels. And he promises to settle him in that land and bless his descendants. To which Jacob says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And it was a promise of presence. It was a promise to bring him back to Bethel, but more learning was needed. And the second key moment was when he decides to wrestle God. Super weird moment when you think about that, eh? You know, oh, an angel, let's go. <laughs> All the other times, don't be afraid. You know, <laughs> peace be with you. You know, fists up, let's go. So this, he wrestles with God and it's a moment as if to say, your way, Jacob, doesn't work. Stop fighting to be in charge and the wrestle changes him, doesn't it? Leaves him injured. It injures him in order to heal him. And ultimately, after all of this, God brings him back to the place of his dreams, and he settles there for a time. And it is there that God joins his story to the land, and he remains, and, and he renames Jacob as Israel. And this is the word that I have for the well. You have not been acting in trickery. Don't worry. That's not the part of it. But you have been trying to find your way. For 10 or so years, you've been injured, wounded, even disappointed in the process, but you have come out healed. And God is asking to bring you back to the place and the point of your dreams. Return to your dreams. I think this is important for you, Clint. Return to your dreams. Return to the prophetic words, the things that were on the shelf at the beginning. Your dreams will lead you. Return to them. And it is time for the story of the well to be enmeshed with the story of Ototahi. And I mean that there's a sense of God, almost like, you know, prophetic words and things that we felt like God say, they have a long shelf life, don't they? You know, in our world, in our time, in our age, we often feel like if it doesn't happen in a week, then it's not true and God's unfaithful. And uh, even though we've got this text of thousands and thousands of year old prophetic words, we're still asking for a Facebook messenger response. I can see that God's read my message. Why isn't he responding, you know? And so this is, this is my... I guess, provocation to you as a community. Return to your dreams. Return to the things that God has spoken. All right, we're going to chuck this scripture up. It's from the message, uh, which I find is super helpful at times, not at others, but this one I find it helpful. Kapai? One day, when large groups of people were walking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you, can't, if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye... You can't be my disciple. Salt is excellent. 
But if the salt goes flat, it's useless, good for nothing. Are you listening to this? Really listening? I'm going to pull a bunch of different scriptures, but I just want to quickly just highlight a couple of points that I noticed this in this. It's clear to me that Jesus is asking us to consider the cost of both following him and not in this, right? He essentially says, think about what you are doing because my way of life results in a bunch of death. Super exciting. Some of you can imagine heaps of the disciples at this point that's in healings and miracles and signs. And then he's like, unless you're willing to let go of your family and all of your stuff, you can't follow me. It'd have been like, it was going so well. We just had this really significant left turn. Is this like an all-in type thing? Because I was mostly there, right? And uh, we have this experience of Jesus going, I need you to be all-in. Are you willing to let go of your possessions? Are you willing to trust God with your family? Or will your family become first? And I, I hear people all the time, my kids are first place. I said, cool, what happens when they move out? Are you going to just follow them around the world? You know? It's just, a, we live in a broken system. I say to my kids all the time, you're not first, you're third. I love Jesus, I love your mum, and then there's you. You matter deeply to me, but you're not first. You're first to Jesus, but not to me. And um, I want them to know that they are not the epicenter of the world. And I think Jesus was, in an early, early point, speaking a message that was, it's hard to hear in our day and age, eh? Because if someone came up and said, let go of your son, I'd be like, Yo, we're about to enter into Jacob wrestling God moment right now. Like, I will fight you. He's essentially coming up with the worst job offer ever. Hey, there's no money. You lose everything, including your family. We start tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks. Great offer. Are there any bonuses? Yeah, I mean, there's miracles. Signs, wonders, that type of thing. So those are definitely bonuses. What will you actually lose? Jesus knew he wasn't really having a conversation about loss. He was having a conversation about barriers. The things that keep you from life to the full. That was the real conversation. It wasn't about how much can you give away. And many people, they feel like they're unable to come into church because they are unable to what they perceive as, I have to give up all of these things. That's not the process, is it? What happens is we meet Jesus, we encounter his love, and then little by little, we realize all of the things that affect us and impinge us from being people of love. And so we start to strip away things, not because we should, but because we understand what they do. So it's clear that he's having a conversation about giving up everything. And meanwhile, the Western church has sold us a gospel that gives up almost nothing, right? It's a slightly better version of yourself. You know, come to Jesus and become a little bit morally more integrous. Maybe, maybe not, actually. You might become worse, become disappointed. And so we sing the song, Lord, I give you a little bit of my life. I give you a little bit of my soul. I live for me mostly, and sometimes you, not alone, right? And so we sing this munted song that we were never meant to sing. All the while, we're expecting the gospel to deliver, but we are unwilling to embody any of it. It's like me going, you know what? I've been going to the gym once a month and eating McDonald's every day, and I still don't have abs. This is ridiculous. What is going on here? Why am I even paying a subscription? 
I have to admit, though, every time I go to the gym, I still weigh myself, like thinking that somehow that gym session is going to be the game changer. Anyway, irrelevant. But we want the abs of the gospel, right? We have this big expectation of the gospel without any big embodied part of our life. And so we're having a conversation about cruciformity because there's a part in all of us whether you are here and you're tired, whether you got two hours sleep, or whether you are fully alive and kicking, that's going, I want this to be real. See, I think the truth is, is that we don't want an easy gospel. We actually want to embrace the fact that this is hard, that it does cost, because everything that is good is hard, right? You know, you ask someone that runs marathons or whatever, the reward is that they were able to do something that was hard work and get to the end of it. Hey, we want to teach our children that, don't we? We want to teach them that hard work and entering into things and staying in it is part of what makes life beautiful. Now, finally, salt. What does it do? It preserves things. It allows things to last. It adds flavor, and it brings flavor out of food. And finally, it makes you thirsty, doesn't it? So the gospel, when embodied, causes you to live a healthy, sustainable, and preserved life. It causes you to live a life full of flavor, adventure, and joy, and it causes you to thirst for more of Jesus, and in turn, causes the world to thirst for that which is inside of you. Now, sometimes those things that I've listed aren't our experience. Sometimes the gospel doesn't feel full of life and full of flavor. This is the invitation to be salt. And he says in the scripture before, basically, if you're not salt, then what are you? What's the point? This is Jesus's way of going, either follow me or just don't at all. Because there's no point. Salt without its saltiness is pointless. And so a person without flavor, without the joy of the Lord, without a healthy and a sustainable life, Without thirsting, what's the point? Kapai, you still with me? If you're not, I just want to point out the exits. One, two, three. There you go. Kapai. I have wrestled with this thought for the last five years. What is an articulation of the good news that actually feels and sounds like good news in our context? Has anyone ever thought about that? Or is everyone just like, no, I've got it locked down. I know what the good news is. I would particularly dwell on this when I found myself disappointed over and over again at the content that would come out about like new Christians content and whatever it was, I would be like, man, this, I mean, I feel like it was speaking to generations ago, but if I told a 15 year old, hey, God forgives your sins, a 15 year old's going to look at me and go, what do I need that for? Right? And you're like, you little, you are the filth of the world right now. I've been talking to your parents. They've been telling me, right? Now, before you call me a heretic and remind me that the good news never changes, let me tell you this. The core tenets of the good news, what Jesus has done for us, and what that means for life and life after life, does not change. But our articulation actually always changes. And if I'm honest, the good news has been portrayed as these radical, existential, emotional, divine moments of revelation those moments where we encounter Wairuatapu are definitely good news, but they are more of a gateway than a full story, right? I think we have sold the way of Jesus as a pretty cool way that doesn't cost all that much, that can slip into your current desires and ways of being and just generally make you a better person. 
Kind of like you live life and you join a sports team. That can sometimes be the message of following Jesus that we inherit. Yeah, I just join a, I'm just part of a sports club on Sunday morning that meets at nine. And some, we have a few practices during the week sometimes. Sometimes not. Last week I had a bye. And so this lukewarm picture of faith has resulted particularly in people, if you notice that people in their singleness, or even not even singleness, but let's say in their 20s and they move into their 30s and life becomes busier, you have children or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, not the same energy is there and the faith is different. The questions are being asked because we've often learned about a a faith journey that requires lots of effort because we haven't been taught how to be with God how to rest in God, how to shape our lives around God. And so now when we don't have energy, we're like, maybe I don't have faith. Maybe it was all a lie. Maybe this real experience I had of God actually wasn't real anymore. And we start asking these questions because the conditions have changed. Mark Sayers talks about it as, we want the kingdom without the king. I sort of want the things that the gospel offers, but not really any true and deep relationship with Jesus that forms and changes me. So we're having this conversation about cruciformity, which is a really terrifying word. You know, if we've, it could be a, a cliche word that we throw around in church and not really understand. Like, you know, sort of like those songs that's like, Lord, purify me in the fire. Let's think about that. <laughs> Do I want that? <laughs> so Jesus modeled and invited, take up your cross daily. Or as Paul said, I want to know Christ, just to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Now, can I suggest that Te Pai, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was meant to assault our every sense and sensibility as a result. And, and as a result, does not fit easily into our self-governed life. It's not an easy fit. So some of you are still trying to make it an easy fit. It's just not. The following of Ihu Kraiti is an invitation for Jesus to completely invade your life, your opinions, your finances, your free time, your imagination, your everything. And maybe the good news isn't, isn't that accepting and following Jesus is easy. Maybe it's actually that it's really challenging. See, the good news without cruciformity is actually no news. It's got nothing to say. It's not good news. A friend of mine who uh, leads a church in India in the northern part of India, in a highly persecuted part of India where baptism can result in being burned alive. He said to me, he said, you know, I think people have got this dramatic idea of, you know, anyone could be courageous in a moment and die a martyr's death. But it seems like our struggle is not being courageous in a moment. It seems like our struggle is dying a little death, day after day after day after day. And I went, yeah, I mean, that's, I think I prefer the martyr thing, to be honest if I'm honest, right? A glorious moment as opposed to actually the the grind of choosing over and over and over and over again. See, every step of the way of following Jesus is a confrontation of our desires and beliefs about about life, ourselves and humanity versus his. And our thoughts are really his, aren't they? Sometimes we bump into them and feel good about that. We act in the sense, and let let me just read this. So the hard task of following Jesus is not because he loads us with weight, it's because we are already loaded with weight. We are our own gods, slaves to our own version of life. 
So when he comes to move that way, we act like hoarders. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that show where they enter into someone's house and there's this person, like they're like rooms like that, right? And actually that's probably relatively clean. But they sit and there's this person who's like climbing through holes to get to beds and it's the worst thing you've ever seen. And it smells, there's like animals that are living in there that they don't know about. And then there comes like this big confrontation where the family's like, look, right, let's sort this out. And basically what ensues in these programs is this massive fight between this person who knows that their house is disgusting and knows they don't like it, but are so used to it, they can't bear to part with it, right? You've, has anyone ever seen any of this stuff? And so they end up, there, you know, the families, there's always tears, and oh man, I've, I needed that record. I've, yeah, I found it 25 years ago, and I haven't seen it in 10, but I really needed it. And so they have this ongoing conversation, and over time, over time, they end up sort of doing a lot of sneakies, cleaning things out without them knowing, and and basically negotiating with them to clean the house in a significant way. And what happens at the end is that the person, as hard as it was for them, they walk into that new space and they go, wow, I never thought it could look like this. I'm so used to the mess. I just thought that was how it was meant to be. I never imagined it could be like that. It was a, I was blind but now I see moment for them isn't it they get the keys to their house and all of a sudden it feels like a home that they could be in it's not just a a statement of their brokenness and this to me is the gospel we are all hoarders you and me we fill up our lives with mess that destroys us we become super attached to that mess and don't quite know how to live without it we even know that it destroys us it's like that song before, bring your, I think it was bring your addictions. And There's no person that struggles with addiction that's going, I love this. This is great. So stoked that I'm in this. But beyond that, we bring our emotionally unhealthy behavior. We bring our family trauma. We bring our, our whether we're explosive arguers or whether we store it inside and we say, oh, I'm over it. And then we passively aggressive walk around and treat everyone else like, they don't exist, but I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me whatsoever. I don't know what you're talking about. Just get out of my face. However, we, we bring our mess into lives and we fill up the rooms of our life. The process of following Jesus is allowing Jesus to come into our lives with us, remove our accumulated intergenerational and self re, uh, self-regulated garbage. And some of our mess we are aware of, but most of it we're not. And so we need a community to come in and go, bruh, what the heck is that? Like in the the program that I watched, they've been like pooing in bottles and storing them up. We need people to point that out. That's not normal. If you've been doing that in your life, I want to pray for you after this, but probably from a distance. Romans 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin or disordered desires. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. 
and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. And the way of Jesus is about leading you to your mother tongue, your divine indigeneity, the design of heaven over your life. And this is the reality. You do not know who you are. You might know more than anyone else in the room who you are. But the person that knows fully and completely who you are is God. And life without God is life without knowing you. So it requires an acceptance of the fact that your most primal and active thoughts are often and usually perpetual slavery that you've learned to call freedom. Right? So we have these little, and we might pull it even down way more, less significantly. Like, when I'm pressured and when I'm stressed, what would be the right thing to do? I don't know, go for a walk on the beach, come back to God. What do I really want to do? just want to spend like five hours on Netflix watching nothing, right? Now, you might go, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, sure, actually, there probably isn't anything deeply wrong with that, but it's below the line of potential. And so it's a room that starts to fill up. Instead of learning or looking or leaning into God in those moments of weariness or pressure or stress, uh, maybe I'll just shut myself off completely and die to the world around me. And finally, let me just bring this up. Paul talks about being in chains for Christ. And another part's about being a slave. And um, I don't know if we've got that slide up. Yeah. But it's only tough because we don't currently accept our self-imposed slavery. We think we're free. Oh, why would I be coming come into chains with Jesus? Well, because it's either you're in chains with Jesus who actually leads you to life or you're in, cha- you're in chains with yourself and then you're stuck in your house that's full of mess and poos and bottles right? It's gross, eh? I apologize. It's a terrible picture. I should, don't worry, the next service I'll have something far more appropriate. You are already in chains. Your life is already bound up. It's either bound up to your ideas, your habits, your disordered desires, or yourself as God. And the gospel comes to say, actually, I alone know what human flourishing looks like. And if you will follow me freely, submit us yourselves to the freedoms and incredible limitations of my way, you will understand what freedom looks like. There's this really bizarre story in Luke 9 where three men come to Jesus who wish to follow him. And his response isn't, church, let's stand up and clap these people as they come to the altar call. I got nothing against that whatsoever. But I'm interested in Jesus' response. His response was basically this. Are you willing to pay these certain prices? Are you willing to go without a home, without food, without money, without family? Are you willing for all of these things? It was Jesus saying, my way is the truth and life, but it will cost you everything you think you know about truth and life. It will cost you your privacy, your finances. It will cost you in your habits and your generosity. It will cost you in your time and your eating habits, your sleeping habits. It will cost you in your rhythms and in your relationships. It will cost you in your sexual ethics and in your sexual desires. It will cost you. And the truth sets us free, but first it really annoys us. Right? Because it is so different to our sets of beliefs about the truth. And even as someone that's been following Jesus for 14 years, I still find myself regularly annoyed by the truth that is constantly at war with the lies inside of me. Some of the lies, I'm like, man, how long have you been there for? How long have I lived that way? What if the gospel was easy to receive and challenging to embody because we can't do it alone? 
We have to be reliant on Jesus, His people, and His creation. What if it was meant to raise the stakes of our own humanity and the lives we were called to be? But what if, like the hoarder, we find ourselves returning to our familiar mess? Some of the rooms start filling up again. We walk into church a little bit ashamed, feel like I've gone backwards. We feel mud about the mess, but we know the mess so well it's hard to escape. And this, my friends, is where the gospel comes in. That we pass the keys to the house again and Jesus with us, little by little, starts cleaning rooms. He's not annoyed. He's like delighted. You you wait till you see what this is going to look like. You wait till you see what this lounge is going to look like. I've got plans for you, my boy. I've got plans for you, my girl. This is going to be so amazing. Do you know that this mess doesn't define you? Do you know that this isn't even part of you? This is just visiting. We're going to clear this visitor out of here, and you're going to start to see what life could be like. And I don't know about you, but I need reminders like that all the time. Oh, this is, there's more than this. When I've struggled in my marriage, oh, there's more than this, son. There's more than this. When I felt hurt by my church community, oh, there's more than this. It's okay. We're going to clear out the mess of your offense, your woundedness. We're going to clear that room out. We're going to clear out all of the stuff that you've dragged along. And I feel this morning that a response is necessary. Not for me, because I don't really care if you respond for my own sake, like I said. I know who I am. I'm loved by Jesus. I'm not requiring anything from you today. But I felt like in my heart, I wondered if there was a response inside of people this morning. Something that said, God, I want to give you the keys to my house again. I want to offer them to you. I think I've been expecting you to barge in, but you don't work like that. I want to give you the keys because there's mess that's here. And the truth would be that there wouldn't be a single person in this room that doesn't have a messy room. At least one hundred. And this is the beauty of the story of Jesus. We invite him in. And he is like happy to be there. Like the only person that's happy about cleaning. There's probably some other strange people like that in this room. But he's there going, come on, let's do this. And the journey of cruciformity is dying to the way you think things should be. And allowing Jesus to repaint the walls, move the furniture, and throw out the garbage. So, I just want you to close your eyes with me this morning. And I'm, I'm going to give you options because I know we're the Google generation, so we need them. But if you feel like a burning in your heart, and you're like, God, I want to raise the stakes of my following of you. I want to rededicate my life and my mind. I want to say that even though I might be struggling with energy or whatever else it might be, I want to offer my life to you again. I want to say, Lord, here's the keys. Come in. 
There's some mess that I've been hiding. There's some mess that I don't even know about. You're going to show me some secret doors. You're going to show me the attic that I didn't even know how it was affecting my life or my marriage or my relationships. God, you're going to come in and you're going to show me the way, the truth, and the life. Then let's stand together this morning. And if you feel like you need to respond to that, I want to offer you a couple of options. One, I want you to either kneel at your seat, or two, I want you to boldly come up the front, and we're going to pray for you this morning. So I'm going to create space now. If you feel God whispering to your heart, why don't you begin to come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. We're going to maintain the space. If that's you, come. We want to pray for you. We want to speak life over you. We want to invite you deeply into this cruciform journey again. Beautiful. Can we just turn the music up a little bit, please? Come, Lord Jesus. You're not done with us. And as you come and you stand here or you kneel or whatever it is that you're doing, and even if you haven't responded at all, why don't you just say, even in your heart, God, here are the keys. Here are the keys. God might start to bring to mind some things like, man, Look how offense has trickled through generations. You know what? I'm going to heal that in you. And then I'm going to heal your whakapapa backwards. You're still dealing with the pain. Some of you have miscarried and you're wondering whether you can trust God again because it felt like you had your most precious treasure taken away from you. And so that room has started to fill up with hurt and anger and frustration. And God, He comes and He puts His arms so beautifully around you. And you know what He's saying to you? You go, man, I know that hurt. I know that hurt. Do you know I was with you? Do you know I collected your tears in jars? I know that hurt you. Let's open that room together. We'll take one thing out at a time. I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of my grace. Don't force it. Walk with me. Some of you are up here and you are melting under the weight of anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. And God is also saying, nothing is too much for me. Some of you are fathers in this room and you have been struggling with the value of your own life, wondering if anyone would actually miss you. And God comes this morning to speak to your despair. Son, 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 you are more than your, what you offer. You are more than your income. You are more than your job. You are even more than your role as a husband and a dad. You're my son. And he comes to speak life to your despair, healing over you. 
let's just begin to open our hands. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe over us this morning, God. Lord, we long for you, don't we? Some of you have been in faith for generations and generations, and I just I want you to extend like your arm of faith. Oh, man, you know what? I've, I've been through stuff as a 35-year-old, and I think the world's going to end, and then I talk to a 65-year-old, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been through that three times. We need your faith, your belief. Your faithfulness is beautiful. Extend it to another generation. So God, begin to minister to, begin to heal all of those that have responded this morning. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, welcome. You are welcome here. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us again. Speak to us again. Holy Spirit, welcome. Holy Spirit, welcome. You welcome here. You are welcome here. And guide us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us again. 